You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. We are going to be, uh, over the next four months, walking through the book of Hebrews. And if you're like, why the book of Hebrews? Uh, Well, because in short, we need Jesus. And I don't mean like the the counterfeit Jesus, the religious Jesus, uh, the the Jesus Junior version some of us have settled for. Some of you, you've settled for a version of Jesus that is not the real Jesus. And I just want you to know today, the counterfeit Jesus, he cannot help you. He's weak. He's pitiful, he's unable to save you, but the real resurrected Jesus is the real good news that every single one of us desperately need. And what I love about the book of Hebrews is this book, more than any other book in the Bible, will display for us the beauty and the majesty and the sufficiency and the greatness of Jesus. In fact, if I could sum up this book in one short sentence, it would be this. Jesus is greater. That's the book of Hebrews right there. He's greater than your fears. He's greater than the storms you're facing. He's greater than your failures and your flaws and your mistakes. He's greater than your successes. He's greater than your career. He's greater than your money. He's greater than whatever vacation you can take. He's greater than any pleasure that you can experience. He's greater than our own families. Like Jesus, he's greater. He's greater than our highest of highs and our lowest of lows. That is Hebrews in a sentence. And over the next four months, in light of this, my goal is pretty simple. My goal, and, and hopefully whoever's preaching's goal, is that we will somewhat disappear, and that when you walk away from here, what you will see is Jesus, uh, that he will be exalted, that more than you leave saying, wow, that's a cool church, or wow, that was a pretty nifty sermon, or a good illustration, or I like that band, that you will leave in all of Jesus. And the only way that is going to happen, it will not happen through clever preaching. It will not happen through great music. It will not happen through getting the lighting just right or maybe uh, putting a few more candles on the edges. Like That's only going to happen if the Spirit of God makes this message alive in your hearts. And so what I want to do now is I just want to pray one more time before we dive into this that the Spirit will do just that. Let's pray. Father, we come now as... as needy children. And what we need more than anything is for you to manifest your presence in our hearts in a way that is unmistakable. Jesus, you tell us in your word that when you are lifted up, that you will draw all people to yourself. I'm going to do the best I can, the best I possibly know how today, to just lift you up, to not lift me up, to not lift this church up, to not lift someone else up, but to lift you up. And so I just ask right now, would you be gracious? Would you stay true to your promise? Would you, through your Holy Spirit, draw these men and women to yourself? Help us to see, help us to see, help us to feel our need for you, Jesus. And help us to see that truly you are sweeter than all the pleasures that we could possibly have in this life. And it's in your name that I ask these things. Amen. All right, Hebrews 1, verse 1. Let's get going. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. I'm going to stop right there and just ask a question. Who is writing the book of Hebrews? 
We don't know. That's exactly right. So my job's pretty easy here. I don't have to go into like some long illustration about the author. Uh, some say that it's Barnabas. Some say it's Priscilla. Some say it's Apollos. But here's the truth. Nobody really knows. What we do know, however, is that this isn't really a letter. This is actually a sermon. It's a 35-minute sermon that is being preached to a church. And whenever you think of the church, don't think of what you're seeing right here. Uh, the church was much different in this time period. The church actually consisted of, uh, of maybe actually kind of several house churches, or uh, think about it in our context as missional communities, the groups of 15 to 20 people who are just kind of practicing the way of Jesus together. And so the writer of Hebrews, right, he's, he's actually preaching the sermon to these people, and here's what we know about this church. Here's what we know about these people. There's one way they are not like us at all, and there's three ways that they actually are a lot, I think, like us. One way they are not like us is that the people, the audience that this preacher is preaching to, they are a people who know the Old Testament like the back of their hands. Uh, anybody else in here know the Old Testament like just inside and out really, really well? If it is, if, you, if no, I mean, don't be ashamed of it. Like if you said, none of us, right? And so like the guy who preaches a sermon, he assumes that you know the Old Testament really, really well. Uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project calls this preacher an Old Testament gunslinger. Uh, when you listen to his sermon, he literally, like every other verse, is quoting the Old Testament. I did, a, uh, actually I counted this earlier this week, nine times in just the first chapter he quotes an Old Testament passage. So I mean, it's just this guy is an Old Testament master and he assumes you are as well. And that's why, by the way, if you're like, why are we going to spend four months on a 35-minute sermon? Well, because you don't know the Old Testament. And so we're going to have to do some heavy lifting to really understand what exactly this guy is saying. So that's one way the church is not like us. But then there are three ways that I think that this church is a lot like us. For example, in chapters 5 and chapter 6, we'll get into it eventually, but what we discover is that there are a number of people in this church who were stalled in their faith. These are a people who at one point really loved Jesus. A people who at one point were really excited about Jesus and his mission. But now, for whatever reason, as time has gone on, their passion has begun to wane. The romance is lost. The excitement they had about Jesus and his mission, it's really not there anymore. And so these are people who are no longer growing. They're, they're stalled out, right? Like they're, they're not maturing. They're not producing fruit. In fact, they're going backwards. And one of the biggest concerns of this preacher is that this doesn't concern the people in the church. Like, they're, they're not really that concerned about the fact they're not growing, that they're not maturing. And so these are a people who I would say, like some of us in our own church today, in the Crossing Church, who are very apathetic. They're just not really that concerned about the fact they're not growing. Another way I think that this church, this audience is like us, is not only are there a bunch of people in this church who are apathetic, but there are a bunch who are anxious. You see, because of their allegiance to Jesus, they're suffering, right? They, they, they signed up to follow Jesus, and they thought that maybe they would get their best life now, but instead, life has just gotten harder. It's gotten more difficult. They have been rejected by their own family and friends. Some have been in prison, and so they're starting to wonder, like, like man, like, just how much am I going to have to lose as a result of following this Jesus? Like, I've already lost my comfort. I've already lost some personal preferences. Like, I may even lose my own life. And as a result, these are people who are anxious. And so they're apathetic, they're anxious, and therefore, as a result, they're also compromising. 
So they're now starting to straddle this fence. It's like I got one foot in and I'm, I'm one foot out. It's like, yeah, like I, I want to choose to like believe this part of the Bible, but I don't want to really believe that part. Like, yeah, I want to give Jesus this thing, but I don't really want to give him this thing. And so they're not pursuing holiness. They're not truly devoting their full hearts to the way of Jesus. And I just want to stop and ask you, like in light of that, like you don't raise your hand, but can any of you relate to this audience? Can any of you relate to this church? Maybe for some of you, if you're being honest, like you're here today and you're like, yeah, I feel pretty apathetic. Like, yeah, like I, to be honest, like I look at where I was last year and I look at where I am this year, I don't think I'm growing at all. In fact, I may even be going backwards. We'll talk more about that next week. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I don't know if I'm really apathetic, but I am very anxious because like, when I started following Jesus, I thought it was going to constantly be a mountaintop experience. I didn't realize he would actually at times lead me to the valley of the shadow of death, that I would have to die to some things that I really love and care about. And therefore, I'm, to be honest, a little bit scared about what the future holds. I'm kind of anxious about going all in on Jesus because I don't know if he's going to maybe as a result cause me to lose something that I actually care for more than I care for him. And so maybe some of you are here and you're like, yeah, I, I can relate to that. Like, I'm anxious. Or maybe for some of you, like, you're here and, and you're compromising. If you're being honest, like, there's areas where you know, you know what Jesus has called you to do, but you're refusing to do it. Or you know he's called you to stop doing something, but you're not stopping it. And so you just kind of continue on this path where you're flippant with these sins in your life. And if that is where you are this morning, I want you to know, first off, I'm really glad you're here. Really glad you're here. And I want you to know, like, if you can relate, if you like, I, I can feel some apathy kind of creeping into my life, or I kind of I live with this low-grade anxiety, or I can think of these areas in my own Christian faith where I'm compromising, then know that the book of Hebrews is for you. And you need to know this book is not going to be super easy. It's not. There are going to be times when we dive into this where the author of this book is going to step on your toes. There's going to be times that he is going to get into your grill, to get into your face, to get into your business. And he's going to do it with grace. He's going to do it with kindness. But he's also going to be very firm. And he's going to do this ultimately, guys, listen, not for the purpose of beating you down, but for the purpose of drawing you closer to Jesus, who is the forgiveness and the fulfillment and the freedom that every single person in here is longing for. And so with that, I want to invite you to look back with me. And this is a no-thrills, no-spills kind of sermon. I'm just going to be preaching to you the text as it comes and praying the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart. But here's what we see. The writer starts and he says, To those of you who are apathetic, to those who are afraid, to those who are compromising in the faith, chapter 1, verse 1, In the past, he's talking about in the Old Testament, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, and at many times, and in various ways. And so, here's something you need to know, a little side note for you. God wants a relationship with you. God doesn't just create the world, and then just walk away and say, like, good luck, I'll see you when you get to heaven, assuming you make it. Like, God creates you, and he wants to have intimacy with you. And you're not going to have intimacy with someone if you don't have a conversation with them. And God wants a back-and-forth conversation. Like, like he wants you to talk to him, but he also wants to talk to you. This is the way it's been all the way back in Genesis when he created Adam and Eve. And it's all the way uh, what we see through the Old Testament where God would raise up these prophets. He would give them a message, and then he would say, go and proclaim this to the people so they know how to have a deeper and more intimate and life-giving relationship with me. That's the way it happened in the Old Testament. God would communicate 
through the prophets. But then notice in verse 2, it says that he, talking about God in these last days, when is the last days? Well, it's the days we're living in right now. He, in these last days, has spoken to us by his Son, capital letter S. And so who is the writer of Hebrews talking about here when he's talking about the Son? Jesus. Say it like you mean it. He's talking about Jesus. If a preacher ever asks you a question in a sermon, I've told you all this before, if you will just say Jesus, 99.9% of the time, you're going to get the answer right. I thought about uh, just now, this just came to me, probably inspired by the Holy Spirit, most likely not, but uh, I'm going to show it anyway. Uh, I heard a joke one time where uh, a teacher was in Sunday school, and she said to the class, she said, hey, class, got a question for you. What is is furry, climbs trees, and likes to eat nuts? And uh, one kid said, "Uh, I don't know, uh, no, he says, I would say squirrel, but since I'm in Sunday school, I'll say Jesus. There we go. I almost messed that up. Um, Back to the text. Just preach the word. Okay. He's talking about Jesus. And because the preacher knows that our temptation is just to say, oh yeah, Jesus, heard that before, we all need Jesus, now let's move on to something else. Because he knows there is no something else apart from Jesus, he wants you to see just how big and how beautiful and how glorious and amazing that he is. And so I want you to see the way he talks about Jesus. Look at who this Jesus is. Look at what he's done. Verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things in his powerful, by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, there is a whole lot in there. Could literally do a six-week series just over what's in here. But I'm going to try to cover all this in about 15 minutes. So here's what I want you to see, okay? In the next 15 minutes, six truths, if you're taking notes, six realities, six truths that if the Spirit of God will open your eyes to see these as they really are, it will absolutely transform your life. And the first thing that the writer of Hebrews wants you to see is this. The reason Jesus is so amazing, the reason you should listen to him when he talks to you, the reason you should trust him and obey him and go all in on Jesus is, one, because he is the inheritor. Here's what I mean by that in verse 2. It says that Jesus is the one whom God has appointed the heir of all things. In other words... When we come to the end of times, when all the dust settles, guess where Jesus will be? In complete control and complete ownership of all things. Everything that you could imagine, Jesus will have in his ownership. All land, all fire, all water, all energy, all natural resources, all nations, all military and might and money, like all spiritual and material beings. Like if, if you can touch it, if you can smell it, if you can taste it, if you can feel it, like Jesus is going to own it all. And if you're like, that's great, good for Jesus. Why does that matter to me? Because the Apostle Paul is clear that if you are a Christian, you are a co-heir with Jesus. That means what belongs to him belongs to you. Listen to what Paul says. Like, Don't take my word for it. Paul says in Romans 8, 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and heirs with Christ. That should blow our minds. 
Everything that belongs to Jesus, if you will trust in him, belongs to you. If indeed, he says, we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. And I love in verse 18 how Paul goes on and he says, this glory, by the way, I've gotten a glimpse of it. And I'm telling you right now that that, that the sufferings of this present world, and if anybody suffered, it was the Apostle Paul. But he says, I'm telling you right now, the sufferings of this present world won't even be worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to you. You take your biggest suffering, take your biggest loss, your biggest death, your biggest tragedy, and you you could multiply it by infinity, and it still would not compare to the glory that is going to be yours in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. If you will listen to him, if you will suffer with him, if you will obey him, if you will trust him, yes, you are going to lose some stuff here on earth. But there is nothing that you can lose that ultimately will not be restored to you. Everything that you have already lost or everything that you're afraid of losing, one day if you will continue to follow Jesus, you will have all of that and more. All of your desires, all of your needs, all of your wants will be finally and fully realized in Christ. In him you will have everything that he has and everything that he is. It will be yours and it will be so glorious so incredible, Paul says, it's going to outweigh your hardest of hard days you've ever experienced. And I don't know about for you, but man, this is a word that I need to meditate on every single day of my life because I am the kind of guy, and I don't know where this came from. I've been trying to work through this and give this over to the Lord, but I live with such a scarcity mindset at times. I've shared the example of, remember, whenever I took my kids to, to AutoZone Park, to Easter Egg Hunt, Right, And I thought there was going to be like all these eggs and the kids were going to have a great time. But instead, there was just a, a few eggs and there was like what felt like 10,000 kids. And they pulled the rope back and let the kids run after the eggs. And my kids literally just got trampled under the foot of these bigger, stronger kids. They came up with no eggs. They were hurt. They were crying. They were disappointed. And, and in many ways, what I think the enemy tries to convince me of, maybe convince you of, is, is this whole world is a competition. That there's these limited amount of resources that you better go and get what's yours. You better work harder. You better try harder. You better be faster. You better be stronger. Because if you don't compete better, if you don't win, somehow you're going to come to the end of your life and you're not going to have this thing that you really, really need to be happy. And the writer of Hebrews says that is a lie from the pit of hell. The truth is... Everything that you could ever need is found in Christ. If you will listen to him, if you will obey him, if you will trust him, yes, you will have some losses. Yes, you'll have some dips. Yes, you'll have some valleys. Yes, you'll have some hardships. But there is nothing that you will do without that you ultimately need and want because Christ owns it all and you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott is a missionary I love. I went to Ecuador several years ago. I uh, got a chance to go where, where he had done some missionary work and paved the way for other Christians today. He went to a place that was hostile to the gospel. He knew that going in. And so people said to Jim Elliot, look, you're a good-looking dude. You got a lot going on. Got a good job. Got a pretty wife. Got some beautiful kids. Probably had a golden retriever. Who knows what else? Like he had the American dream. And they were like, don't do this. Don't go to Ecuador. Don't go deal with these Keishan people because if you do, if you share the gospel with them, they might kill you which is exactly what ended up happening, by the way. But before he left, he he said this, and this has always stuck with me. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. You think I'm a fool for this. 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What, he's ta- what is he talking about? Jim Elliott knew something that we need to realize today. All of these things that we care so much about that we cling to, our jobs, our careers, our money, uh, our health, even our families, all these things that we're just like, ah, I can't lose those. Guess what? You're going to lose it someday. Kids are going to move out of the house. Possibly even die before you. Job won't always be there. Health won't always be there. The money, it won't always be there. Eventually, even if you have a big bank account, you're going to leave it to somebody else. Like all this stuff we freak out over that we try to hang on to, we can't keep it anyway. And what Jim Elliott understood is we need to understand is we need to stop living for stuff that we can't keep and we need to start living for something we can gain that we cannot lose. And the author of Hebrews, he's just going to hold this out for us over and over and over. Some of you, maybe even right now, you're beginning to wonder, should I keep following Jesus? Should I keep pursuing holiness? Should I keep showing up on a Sunday morning? Should I keep getting involved in a missional community? Should I keep reading my Bible? Should I keep singing these songs? Should I keep giving money to this? I mean, all my, my friends that don't follow Jesus, in fact, like, they seem to be doing pretty good. Seem to have pretty good jobs, seem to have pretty good marriages, seem to have pretty decent kids. They seem to be progressing in life. Like, like, like why should I keep on following after this Jesus? Because as the writer of Hebrews will go on to say, and we'll study this passage later, he says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Guys, do not live for what is temporary. Do not become nearsighted. Look to the end. Live with the end in mind where Jesus is there owning it all. And because you are a co-heir with Christ as a Christian, what belongs to him does belong to you. Keep that in mind. The preacher, this is where he starts. He says, I want you to focus on the end. But then next, he says, I want you to focus not just on the end, but I want you to focus on the beginning. Because he says next in this text, not only is Jesus the inheritor, he is also the creator. In verse 2, he says, he is the one through whom God made the universe. I don't know if you've studied the universe lately, but the universe is a pretty big deal. In fact, the universe is so big that astronomers have to use what is called a light year as the ruler. It's 5.88 trillion miles long, and that's what they have to use to measure the universe. There are over 200 billion galaxies in our universe. Ours is the Milky Way galaxy, which is not even the biggest. But if you want to know like, how big our galaxy is, if you were going to travel from one end of our galaxy to another, you would have to travel 186,000 miles per hour for 115,000 years, and then you would get from one end to the other. And keep in mind, we're just one galaxy out of 200 billion galaxies. I, said, I read this past week. Astronomers just found out that the furthest galaxy from us is actually 13 billion light years away. Can you even comprehend that? The furthest galaxy, think about this, is 5. I almost put the number on the screen for you, 5.88 trillion times 13 billion miles away. And according to the scripture, Jesus spoke all of that into existence. With just a word, Just a word is all it took. All of that just came into being. You're like, well, thanks for the science lesson. 
What does that have to do with me? Because according to the Bible, it only takes the word of Jesus to create something out of nothing. It only takes the word of Jesus to turn a grave into a garden. Therefore, because that is true, maybe some of you are here right now and you feel lifeless on the inside. You feel empty on the inside. And you need to know that because Jesus is real, there is hope. Because Jesus can take your nothingness, he can take your emptiness, and with just a word, he can do more than you could ever even imagine or comprehend. And so Jesus is the inheritor. He's the creator. On these next two, I'll move a little bit faster. He is also the radiator. You see what I'm doing there by ending everything with er? Um, <clears throat> just making sure you're catching it. He is the radiator. In verse 3, it says that he is the radiance of God's glory. So this is important. He doesn't say he's the reflector of God's glory. He says he's the radiator of God's glory. If you think about the moon, what does the moon do? The, the moon shines because it is reflecting light from the sun. Does that make sense? Some of you are like, I didn't even know that. So there you learned something new right there. Like that's what's happening. That's not what Jesus does. He's not a reflector of God's glory. He is like the rays that come off the sun. So, so Jesus, you think about the greatest scenery you've ever seen, the biggest mountains or oceans, like the most beautiful stuff you've seen. Nothing declares the glory of God. Nothing displays the beauty and the radiance of God more clearly than Jesus Christ. And that is because not only is he the radiator, he is also the representer. In verse 3 it says he is the exact representation of God's being. Meaning, if you were like, what does the God of the universe look like? You simply have to ask, what does Jesus of Nazareth look like? Jesus himself said in John 14, 9, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In Colossians 1, 15, Paul says that he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus, the writer of Hebrews, says he is the exact representation, the exact imprint. This is what God is like. He is like Jesus because he is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. Next, he says that Jesus is also the sustainer. In verse 3, it says he sustains all things by his powerful word. And so God's word is not only so powerful that it can create the world, God's word is so powerful that it sustains the world. And this is really good news because here's what this means. If the word of God is strong enough to sustain the universe, no matter how big the galaxies are, the word of God is strong enough to sustain your life, no matter how big your problems are. The word of Jesus... The Word of God, it is active and living. It is the Word that has become flesh and now can dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. And that means that, that, that this Jesus, this God, He can sustain you, He can empower you, He can encourage you, He can comfort you no matter what you are facing. For some of you here right now, your life is falling apart. I don't know why that is. Maybe you don't even know why that is. Your marriage is falling apart. Your mental health is falling apart. Your emotional health is falling apart. Your spiritual health is falling apart. And listen, we're so quick to feel like, I know what I need, another book off Amazon. I know what I need, just the right sermon. I know what I need, a vacation. I know what I need, a different job a different house, or a different spouse. You do not need those things. Ultimately, what you need, more than you need a therapist, or a pastor, or even a peel, you need Jesus. 
He is the sustainer of all things, including your life. And if that's not good enough, the preacher goes on and he points to one of the most beautiful realities about Jesus. And it's the fact that he's not just the inheritor, he's not just the creator, the radiator, the representer, or the sustainer, but he's also the purifier. In verse 3 it says, After he provided purification for sins. I know this is an unpopular thought in 2023, but sin is a reality. And it's not just, we have to understand this, it is not just a reality out there. Sin is a reality in here. You are a sinner, and I am a sinner. There are times in my life where I lie, times where I lust, times where I am greedy, times where I am apathetic, times where I'm hypercritical or judgmental. There's times where I fear man more than I fear God, times where I I fail to love God and love others the way he calls me to. I am a sinner and so are you. That is what we have in common. The Bible is clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And and as I see it, there's one of two sides that we can err on when we sin. Like there are one of two ditches that we can kind of drive into. We're all going to sin. And I think some of us err on the side when we sin, we believe that God is furious with us. That even as a Christian, the God, he's just so mad at you, he just can't believe that you did it again. And, and so he's just, he just can't wait to give you cancer or to, to take your kids or, or do something like that. He just wants to prove to you how mad he is. And he wants to make you sorry for your sin. Some people, they err on that side. Other people, they don't believe God is furious, but they have just as big of a problem. In fact, they believe that when it comes to sin, that God is flippant. That he's like, you know what, I really don't care. Like, boys will be boys. Like, no big deal. He's just kind of easygoing, just kind of brushes it under the rug. And guys, the truth is actually right in the middle. He is not furious with you, Christian, nor is he flippant with you. The truth is God hates sin. He cannot tolerate sin, no matter what the culture tells you. If we try to walk into the holy presence of God apart from Christ, we would be obliterated by his presence. I've heard the Bible Project guys talk about this before, where they talk about God's holiness like the sun. When you think about God's holiness, that's how, that's how strong he is. That's how beautiful he is. That's how great he is. And if you think about the sun in the sky, right, like if you get so close to the sun, or if you get too close to the sun, what's going to happen? It's going to destroy you is what will happen. Does that mean that's because the sun's so bad? No, it's because it's so good. It's so powerful. And that's the way the holiness of God is. You cannot waltz into the holiness of God apart from Christ without it obliterating you. That's just a sinful human being. God hates sin, but the truth is he loves the sinner, and he loves the sinner so much that the Bible is clear that he sent his own son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect, sinless life that we could never live, fulfilling the righteous requirement of God. And then he went to the cross where he shed his blood. Why? It says in here, for the purification of your sins and my sins. 
so that rather than us being condemned when we trust in Jesus, rather than us being condemned for our sin, we can be cleansed of our sin, and we can now enter with confidence into the presence of God any time that we want. Because this is what Jesus has done for you. And after providing purification, this is huge, in verse 3, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Meaning that the salvation that he came to bring you is now complete. That's why Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And what that means is, please hear this and we're almost done. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you believe he is who he says he is and he's done everything that he says he's done, all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. All of the sins that you are still ashamed to talk about from the past, forgiven. All of the sins that you still struggle with today, that you're frustrated that you still struggle with, forgiven. The sins you haven't even committed yet, 20 to 30 years down the road, all have been forgiven because of something Jesus did 2,000 years ago. The writer of Hebrews will have a lot to say about this in the book. In Hebrews 10.10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, he says that he has been, or we have been made holy. Or other translations say we have been made perfect through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Do you know what that means? It means that if you are in Jesus, no matter what you have done or have not done, if you have trusted in Christ, where you sit right now, you look perfect in the eyes of God. I wonder how many of you believe that. Those of you who are struggling with body shame. Those of you who feel ugly. Those of you who feel unwanted. Those of you who feel impure. Those of you who are going to lay your head down on your pillow tonight and have these thoughts running through your mind about how worthless you are. Those of you who fear man. Those of you who are just enslaved by what other people think of you who cannot be okay unless everybody else is okay with you, who just lives for that click. Let me go back and check Instagram again and see if maybe one other person liked my image. Right now, where you sit, the creator of the universe who holds it all together says, you look perfect just as you are in Christ in my eyes. You are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are loved, and there is nothing you can ever do to make me love you any more or any less. I love you perfectly right now. It is through this Jesus that God speaks to you today. That's what it says right here. It's the primary way God speaks. In the past, it was to the prophets. Now it's someone greater than the prophets, right? Jesus is much more than just a great prophet. He's a son of God, and this is the primary way that God is speaking through, through you today. And here's just my question as, as I close. Are you listening? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. Like, are you hearing the voice of Jesus, or are you hearing the voice of the enemy? Are you hearing the voice in your head? Are you hearing the voice of someone else? Like, are you listening to Jesus? This Jesus, the real Jesus, the inheritor, the creator, the sustainer, the radiator, the representative, the purifier. You know, earlier this week, I went for 
a run. And I told the early service, like, don't be impressed by that. I, I very rarely run, and when I do, it's only for like a mile. And, <clears throat> and even that feels like it's going to kill me sometimes. <clears throat> and um, I was going to go for a run earlier this, this week, and I just took my earbuds out because I was struggling with some anxiety, some things I was worried about in my life. And I just said, like, Jesus, like, I really just want to go on this run with you. Would you please talk to me while I'm running? I just need to hear from you. And I walk outside, and I begin to run, and I was just literally, I was overwhelmed by just how many birds were singing. Like, I don't know if there's always that many birds singing in the mornings. I don't know. But there were just, I mean, it sounded like thousands upon thousands of birds singing. And in that moment, I felt Jesus just say to me, and this is his word, by the way, in Matthew 6. So I know it's Jesus speaking. He said, consider the birds. They have everything they need. And your father cares way more about you than the birds. Therefore, Jared, my brother, stop worrying and seek first the kingdom of God and everything that you need will be added to you. And here's the thing, guys, like there were still moments this week where I struggled with anxiety. There were still times where I struggled with sin. There were still times where I struggled with unbelief. But in this moment, I'm telling you, I experienced through the voice of Jesus, a supernatural peace and a freedom and a rest, even in the midst of the run, and a resilience where I walked back into the house. I walked out of the house being like, oh, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I walked back in the house being like, yeah, yep. I don't know about everybody else, but I'm going to keep seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to keep seeking it first because the king Jesus is still ruling, and he's still reigning, and he's still creating, and he's still sustaining, and as we're about to see, he's still saving. He truly is greater than anyone or anything. And so listen, as we end, I'm going to call the band up, and I just want to say this to you. Actually, I'm not going to call the band up. We're not going to do that. We're going to do baptisms next. Here's what I want to say before we move into baptisms. If you are apathetic, Jesus is greater than your apathy. If you're anxious, Jesus is greater than your anxiety. If you are stuck in sin and you're compromising, Jesus is greater than all of that too.